The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey guys, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratis Show. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Gregoratis. And as per usual, I am speaking to you from my studio in Los Angeles, California. I hope that wherever you are in the world listening to this, it finds you happy, healthy, and living a life of purpose and fulfillment. So today's guest came to me through one of my previous clients, He reached out to me via email and said, you should really have this guy on the show. And to be honest, I was a little bit hesitant because I couldn't find out much about the potential guest online. And uh, I made a promise to myself that I'd be a little bit more discerning when it came to my guests because uh, I had an incident earlier in the year where one of the guests uh, was quite dishonest about his his pedigree and his achievements. And um, because I didn't do any due diligence, he basically got away with it. Now, as I said previously, when I discussed this, the episode was still pretty good. And I think it provided a lot of value to the listeners. And that's why I didn't take it down. And that's also why I haven't said which episode it was. But either way, I was taking a chance with today's guest. And I'm really glad I did because the guy, even though he was pretty out there, I thought he was pretty cool. And he went deep into uh, an experience that he had, which profoundly shaped him. And just the way he told the story, I found very moving and it was just powerful and it affected me in a a positive way. And uh, he subsequently sent me a copy of his book, which is pretty high on my list of books to read. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into that. Either way, I know you guys are going to love this discussion with Nima Kalilian. Enjoy. Nima, my man, thanks so much for coming on the show. You are a, an entrepreneur, nomad, and author of the book, The Art of Interpretation, A Guide to Remembering Rules of Reality. It's so cool to have you on here. Thanks, brother. It's really nice to be on here. I'm happy to get to talk to you now. This is our first time talking, so... Everything that comes out here is going to be fresh. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I think the first thing that we should maybe talk about that we have in common is you spent five years as a digital nomad and so did I. I literally did exactly what you did, ran an online business, just traveled the world. How's that been working out for you? Are you still a nomad or you settled down now? What's what's the deal? Well, I've uh, moved to a ranch in Texas. Me and some really good friends that are family uh purchased a property, a 38-acre ranch in the middle of a national forest, and we're looking to set up sustainable living through permaculture. And um, yeah, I had some really awesome things over here. But I do always travel. I was actually in your neck of the woods about four or five days ago. Nice. In uh, California, in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I spent about 29 years of my life in Los Angeles, and it wasn't until... I had a really big shift in my life in December of 2015. Um, I went to Poland to train with a gentleman named Wim Hof and Mm -hmm. 
had a breakthrough experience for myself. I suffered from about a dozen years of depression leading up to that and went there with the intention to die. I was always really bad with the cold and um, hated it. And at that point in my life, I really hated myself as well. And I decided as soon as someone showed me a documentary on Wim Hof, I decided that I was going to go there and suffer and that there was no way that I could possibly deal with it. And I was just done with life and it wasn't a cry for help. I didn't want anyone to know. I just uh, wanted to go and be done with this in the worst way possible because that's what I felt I deserved at that time in my life. And um, a part of me did die there. And it was a part of me that I didn't need anymore. And then I had this big realization that maybe the reason I'm suffering so much is because I'm trying to live the life that I've been convinced I'm supposed to be living and strive for success based on the definitions of success that had been passed on to me. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to succeed or fail based on what I consider success or failure to be. And um, from that moment, I actually happened to go to a Tony Robbins business mastery seminar right when I got back from Poland, which was perfect timing. And um, just kind of created my business into a well-oiled machine and hired more people to handle that stuff, um, which had less money coming to me, but opened up all my time. And from there on, I just didn't look back, started traveling the world and opening myself up as a person. Um, I realized a lot of the feedback I was getting from the world was just a mirror of how I was expressing myself. So I, yeah, just started going anywhere and everywhere I could and realized how incredible people are all over the world. So a couple of things jumped out of me. You said you wanted to die and you, you hated yourself and, and a part of you did die there. So I'd love to dive a little bit more into that. What was this part of yourself and why did you hate it? The part of me that died there? Yeah. That was um, the part of me, it was a set of beliefs that I had about who I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to be, how people perceived me, why I wasn't good enough, all these things just... Uh, so through the breathing practice, we had... I'm not sure if you're familiar with Wim Hof or if your mm -hmm. listeners are. So they call him the Iceman. And he, as you go through a protocol of cold immersion, and creates controlled stress through the ice and the cold. And um, that, is, that is teamed up with mindset practices as well as breathing practices. And um, yeah, during this breathing exercise, we would do these short ones every day. And on the sixth day, we did a one hour breathing exercise. And I just remember my entire body was buzzing. And then at some point, I forgot where I was and I looked up and everything was black and white. And I just saw what looked to be like a corner of a room. It almost looked like a tetrahedron. If you were looking into the just top corner of a room and I thought, where am I right now? And I just had this moment where I said, oh shit, I'm in my own consciousness. And I've never been seeking any kind of spirituality or um, I was always very analytical and very arrogant and thought that reality was everything that I knew it to be and anything outside of that was just bullshit. So as soon as I had that thought, there was no me. All of a sudden, I existed, but there was no I that existed. There was consciousness that was aware 
of something, but I didn't know there was no Nima anymore. And there was, it's like all my senses were turned off. All my thoughts were turned off, but something existed beneath all of that. And um, when I came out of it, I didn't even know, I didn't even know what happened to me. And there was about 21 of us there. And when I came out of it, it was Wim's cameraman who shook me and snapped me out of it and was talking to me. And my mind couldn't even process what he was saying. And he just lifted me up and kind of dragged me. There was a hotel that was about a half a mile away from where we were. This was in Poland. And that's where we would have dinner. And he just got my shoes on me and I was just crying uncontrollably. And I couldn't think. There was no voice in my head. There was no thoughts at all. And he just put my arm on his shoulder and I dragged my feet over to this restaurant. And I just felt this immense connection with everything around me. And yeah, after that, I didn't know what life was going to be, but I didn't care. For the first time, I really had no desire to have to have things figured out. I was just ready to throw myself into the world and move forward with what made sense to me. And one of the biggest things that Wim gave me there was when we were leaving, he pulled me aside from everybody. There was a bus that was taking us to the Czech Republic, to Prague, to the airport. And he pulled me aside and we had climbed up a mountain that was minus 12 degrees and we were just wearing shoes and shorts at the time. So it was about two and a half hours of just being in shorts in a snowstorm. And he pointed at the mountain and he said, you see that mountain? I said, yeah. He said, you got to the top of that, huh? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, just know we took one path, but there's many ways to get to the top of the mountain. So don't always take the same path, okay? And I said, okay. And then he just looked at me and he said, fuck the cold. Just do the breathing, okay? Keep doing the breathing. And yeah, I understood what he meant there. And I just had this passion to dive into whatever could take me back to that space again, because I'd also told him, I said, Wim, what did you do to me? Uh, what was that? And he wouldn't tell me. And he just said, he, he just didn't tell me. It was like this understanding that I had to continue to seek it myself and figure it out for myself. And I understand now because it would have been very easy for him to try to tell me who I am, what I am, what this reality is, but to understand it for yourself and to, to find it for yourself removes a layer of uh, resistance that comes from our programmed mind. Yeah, and that's, that's nuts. I mean, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it, it does to a degree. You spoke about you changed the way you define success. So what, what was the original definition and, and what was the new definition? The original definition of success for me was financial success to yeah, just house, wife, kids, white picket fence, nice car, stable income. That's what I was told life was and life was about and what it had to be. And um, now I have two main things that I, I try to live by and I, I do live by always. The first and foremost for me is to always fully experience each moment. And that's been invaluable for me whether the moment entails a struggle or a, a great success that I'm going through or joy or whatever it may be. I just, uh, it's not even a logical understanding. It's a knowing that this entire experience is such a gift that 
this unique experience that I get to have and you get to have. And the fact that you and I in this moment are connected to one another and the fact that words are coming out of my mouth through into this microphone, through into your ear pods and transferring what's in my head to your head. And now you're processing it in your own unique way and creating your own perception of an interpretation of it was just magic. It's magical. And um, that I could never shake that. And that was one of the first things I was worried about when I continued to have experiences that would take me in the space that that breathing did. I was worried that I would forget this at some point and that I would fall back into all the old patterns. So I'm guessing you haven't, you haven't fallen back into those old patterns. So, you know, one of the things I put in my book is how important your default state is. And somebody can be miserable regularly and have random triggers that bring joy into their life. And somebody's default state might be joyous and have random triggers that make them feel miserable in their life. Both people are feeling both emotions, but it's two completely different lives. So yeah, there are times when something will happen and for a moment, I'll get pulled back into that world and think this is the most important thing ever. And why did this happen this way and not happen the other way? But the key for me is that it's not my default state and that I continue to work on making sure that my awareness, that it's an illusion, it's a game, that it, it's as important. You know, there's a lot of people that will say, um, like when you speak to nihilists, they'll say that nothing matters in this world. And um, you have other people that'll say, no, it's all so important. What I realized and what's true to me is that everything in this world matters as much or as little as I accept it matters in my reality. And that's true for everybody. If they realize the power that they have in, in their beliefs and how much that shapes their reality. So um, yeah, having the awareness of a story that's playing out and the attachment that I'm creating to that story and how much that affects my experience is massive. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that awareness. And it's just one of those things that um, the buffer time between being caught into one of these games and recognizing the game and saying, oh, this thing doesn't need to be played any longer. It doesn't serve me. Or if I, if I do recognize it and I feel it does serve me, then reinforcing that and using that to drive me forward in whatever I'm doing in that moment has been massive. Wow. That's, that's really cool. Have you been back to that state where you were just disembodied or you, your consciousness had shifted? Have, have you experienced that again? Yeah, a few times. And you, you access that through breathing or how do you? So what I've, the commonality I've recognized because I have experienced it through breathing, I've experienced it through meditation, I've experienced it through psychedelics and have a friend that gave me a, just blew my mind with her story. She was beaten half to death by her boyfriend at the time. and her boyfriend's roommate pulled him off of her, but she left her body at that moment. And um, the commonality in all of this was uh, reaching an extreme level of stress and then surrendering to it and breaking through to the other side. So the surrender was pivotal to it. Now, if you reach that extreme level of stress and fight it off and back yourself away from it, 
it can create a very traumatic experience for people. But yeah, that's surrender. And that's something that I really learned with Wim with the cold because you realize that you can't beat the cold. You just stay in longer and eventually it's going to break you. And the most of the suffering that came from it was from my own resistance to what it was. And when you learn to immerse yourself in it, it's, it's really special. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It, it's, it's made me reflect on something, a particular challenge I have in my life at the moment. And uh, one of my favorite books is Letting Go of the Pathway to Surrender by David R. Hawkins. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, I think it's one of the best books. I think it's one of the best books ever written. I recommend it to everyone. And that's the premise of the whole thing is that you literally have to let go of these things that you're holding on to or else you cannot go to the next level. Uh, I wanted to ask you about your time in the, in the supermax prison and how that happened. And um, yeah, that just sounds fascinating. Yeah. So when I was younger, I, and I think a lot of men in Los Angeles, because that's my experience in Los Angeles. I can speak for that. I can't speak for everywhere, but we're all kind of trying to figure out our place in the world at a certain point. And, um, my environment was surrounded with people who, yeah, their defense mechanism was to be tough and to prove that, yeah, they're not going to back down and so on and so forth. So I ended up, um, my first girlfriend and I had split up and she ended up dating somebody else who I had never met him. And she dated other people before him since her and I had split up. But this person was telling people within my circle that he's in a gang and when he finds me, he's going to kill me and um, that he's going to do this, that, or the other, which uh, I didn't like that. And at the same time, I've actually never said this uh, on any kind of recording before, but he was paying somebody to come and kill me. But I happened to know the guy and this guy was gang affiliated and he got in touch with me and he said, Hey, this guy's made a couple of installments to me and wants me to take care of you. And I'd never met this guy before. never said a word. So I was crazy. That's nuts. But yeah, I said, obviously I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It was wild. And, um, said, you're my friend. Uh, what do you want to do here? And I said, um, have him come meet you next time that he's going to be making another installment and I'll be waiting somewhere and come pick me up too so I can sort this out. So yeah, he ended up meeting with the guy and I was waiting in a dark area in a parking lot and uh, pulled up and I got in the seat behind him and I put a knife to his neck and asked him what's going on. Like, let's get to the bottom of this. And yeah, so. Must have been a fly on the wall in that conversation. How did it go down? Um, how'd the conversation go down? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you're behind this dude, you got a knife to his neck. Like, I'm guessing he wasn't such a tough guy at this point. No, no, he wasn't. And, um, you know, I don't regret anything I do in my life, but where I am in my life right now, I have no desire to instill fear into anybody moving forward. I want to come from a place of love. And if somebody isn't in alignment with that, then that's fine. And they'll be repelled away from my experience and I'll be repelled away from theirs. But yeah, at that point, it definitely instilled a lot of fear in him and he wasn't very tough and um, he couldn't really speak much at that point. I think he was very shocked and realized that I had 
some people talk and they don't back it up and i'm the polar opposite of that i won't say anything but if i got if i feel i got to do something i'm just going to do it which is exactly how it went with the wim hof thing as well so yeah he claimed he was in this gang and he was going to do such and such and when i was in the car he didn't bring up any of that and um Ultimately, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm going to approach him like this and then he'll go get his companions and we'll uh, continue this at a later time. But at least he knows that I'm not playing around either. Um, But that's not how it went. He went straight to the police and he actually took my ex-girlfriend with him and she called me, asked, just trying to start conversation and asking me what I did today. And I, um, I never lied to her, but for some reason on that day, I didn't feel like I wanted to share that with her. So I told her, I'm just hanging out. She said, just tell me everything you did today. And then I found out later from her that she was in the police station and they were trying to get a confession from me at that point. So yeah, they ended up bringing me in. Detectives talked to me a couple of times. And before I knew it, they're kicking down the door at four in the morning one day and yeah, taking me to jail. My parents were shocked. My little sister, who at that point was 11 years old, is screaming at them to leave her brother alone. And yeah, that was that. Was that. I was taken to jail and spent a little over a month there before we were, we were able to bail me out. And then there was an ongoing process for a few years because they also arrested the guy who was driving the car who um, this guy was paying to kill me. And that wasn't something I could bring up because it was going to incriminate this guy who really helped me out at that time. So we had to leave that all out of it. And then, um, so that's a really long story I could go into in detail, but. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely want to hear more. I, I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is like this guy pays the dude to try to kill you. And then when you turn the tables on him, he runs to the police. What a gigantic pussy. Like I, I can't even process that. He, what a scumbag of a human being. You know, man, everybody is doing what they do in this world. And I, you know, I grew up in that culture and I'm I'm not here to really judge the way somebody approaches their life. I'm sure he was trying to act cool in his life and figure his stuff out. I hope the best for him and he figured out what he's doing with his life and there's joy in his life too. Genuinely, there's no part of me that holds any resentment towards it. We all make choices in our life. And um, I wouldn't have made that choice, but I'm not here to tell people how to live. If we were all going to be living the same exact way, then what's the point of there being multiple people on this planet? We'd all just be doing the same thing and thinking the same way. So it was an experience. And actually that experience uh, really, really showed me that there was a force that was protecting me in my life. And I never really thought like that growing up. And um, yeah, there was a point when I was in jail, I was in East Max at that point. And um, we had triple bunks in, in the jail over there. And um, when I first got into jail, they told me, oh, you got to choose a side that you're going to be affiliated with and all that stuff. And I just said, no, I don't want to choose that. I ended up in a cell with five people. Two of them were black and two were Hispanic. And we were all, we all got along. But in LA County uh, jail, blacks and Hispanics are not supposed to affiliate, congregate, share anything, anything like that. And um, we did in that cell because nobody could see us. 
And then I got transferred from there to East Max and uh, the two Mexican guys who were in my cell also got transferred. So we're all sitting in a big holding cell. And at this point, they hadn't segregated the LA County jails. Um, there was a riot that happened a while after that where they did segregate it. And to my knowledge, it's still segregated. But at that time, everybody was together. And um, those guys from my cell said, hey, do you want to play some dominoes with us? And people who know me know that I like dominoes. So I said, yeah, let's play. So we sat down and we're playing. And then one of them told me, he said, you know, you run with us now, right? And I said, what do you mean? He said, everyone here has seen you playing with us. You can't just go into the next place and yeah, start congregating with the blacks and doing this and that. And um, yeah, I don't know if that was some sneaky stuff he did or he was trying to, he just didn't think about it till later, but that's what ended up happening. So I understood that at that point I was running with the Southsiders, but yeah, it was in a triple bunk in East Max. And the guy, I had the middle bunk. The guy underneath me was a young black guy, a really cool guy. The guy above me was, a, I believe, Filipino. And most of the Asians run with uh, the blacks in jail. And so a young black dude saw that I had these summer sausages. It was these kind of sausages that you can get uh, once a week, you can order. And he just said, oh, man, that looks so good. I wish I could have some of that. And I knew I couldn't hand it to him. So when he went to the area where we eat food and play dominoes and watch TV and all that, I put it under his mat for him. And I just walked by him and I said, uh, hey, uh, go check under your mat. And I went and sat in the play eat area. And he went and looked and he just had this big smile on his face. And I was really happy that he got that. And then... He came up to me later in the day and said, go check under your mat. So I go look there and he left me a picture of a girl in a bikini from a magazine as a gift like to return it. So I kind of tucked this thing on the metal, which is above my bunk and it's beneath the top bunk. And then it was either the next day or the day after the Filipino guy comes, he goes, where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that picture? So what does it matter to you where you got, where I got it from? And he said, I gave it to that black guy. And you have it now. Did you steal it from? And just instantly, man, instantly, I'm talking in less than two minutes, a black kid surrounded by all the blacks who are having him at the back of one part of the dorm. And I'm surrounded by all the Hispanics on the other side of the dorm. And I'm talking like, I don't know, 30, 40 people. He's maybe more East Max. That dorm held around 130 people in it. So, yeah, just completely surrounded. and. It was just going down. And then just at that moment, they're, they're just all coming closer to me. I hear my number called, which everyone has a number on their wristband in their jail. And they say, roll it up, which means you're being transferred. And it was just this massive wall of people just parted and I just walked right through them. And I wow. grabbed my stuff. That's nuts. And yeah. And I'm just walking out. And then I was just, the only thing I could think was this poor guy, man, he's He's about to get fucked up so bad. So like the guy who was running the dorm for the Southsiders, the Hispanics in there, he just says to me, we're going to find you this and that. Why did you give that to him? Why do why'd you get that from him? Blah, blah, blah. And I just, I never got to see what happened to the guy, but I started saying I stole it from him. And I, I hope that he didn't have any retribution for it. Well, I just love that. that yeah. The, the image of like yeah it's like nowhere to run nowhere to hide type of situation 
Yeah, something was definitely looking out for you, man. I, I've got several instances in my own life where if I look back now, there was definitely some something watching out for me because I, I definitely should be dead. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. That's really cool. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a story. So tell me, Neva, and I think we'll, we'll finish with this. What, what's, what's life like on the ranch now? It sounds, it sounds really idyllic. It sounds like something, but it's definitely something my, my friends and I've discussed many times over buying a big piece of land in a place like Texas or Montana or something like that. And just, you know, living off the grid as much as possible and, and learning to reconnect with the land and, and nature. And yeah, it just sounds like, incredible how's it going for you going great man it's a beautiful community of family over here and um we're yeah, putting in the time and the effort to continue to expand it and grow it and to eventually uh turn it into a space where others can come and put their put their heart and soul into it and reap from the land as well um mm -hmm. and you're absolutely welcome to come here because i could send you video pictures and describe it to you in a million words and it's not until you come and spend time in the space that you actually feel it. we we live about a mile and a half off of any kind of road and we get maybe 10 cars a day that pass by here and it's you know i lived the whole life of being plugged into the system and having to drive 30 45 minutes to get to some nature and kind of disconnect from that system for a while what we're doing now is living in that nature immersed in that still having things like high-speed internet and you know, the, the things that kind of help us keep connected and um, continue to do the work that we are choosing to do but i'll drive 30 40 minutes to plug into the system if i choose to i'm not going to be immersed in it and have to find a way out of it again it's that default state that's really cool and I like the way you you haven't adopted a, a really anti-system stance. You're like, I'll I'll use it when I need it, right? Like, because there are good things that come from the system. I've learned there's there's a lot of cool stuff. And the fact that we can have this conversation, like you said, it's because you have a high-speed internet connection and a computer and lighting and a bunch of other stuff that came from the system. And yeah, I respect you for um for being flexible and open-minded enough to realize that you don't really have to choose either or you can you can walk both worlds no man this whole world is our playground and um the sooner people realize that and the sooner they realize that there is no necessity to be any particular kind of way then you can begin to look at what this reality has to offer and pick and choose how you want to navigate yourself through it at any given time. And if you can uh, remove the, the attachment to beliefs of this is who I am and this is how I am, then you also open yourself up to your own internal infinite abundance of expressions. And uh, yeah, it's, there's so much of my life that I was just boxed in and being one way because I said that's who Nima is and it isn't until you realize that the only reason that's who Nima is is because I believe that that's who Nima is so I've closed off all the infinite other possibilities of who I can be well Nima that's awesome can you can you tell us a little about your your book yeah absolutely so the book is called the art of interpretation a guide to remembering rules of reality and the 
second time I connected to that space after Poland, um, when I connected in Poland with the breathing, I felt something, but I didn't know what it was. The second time I felt it and I understood it. And um, from there, I felt that was what we all are at our root. And it's a space that we're all connected to always. And we may be far removed from it through our day-to-day life, whether it's our senses and our, and our thoughts just pulling us into um, this, this moment outside of that space. Um, but then I just started thinking, because I was a very analytical guy my whole life, and I just said, okay, if that's what we are when you strip everything away, what are all the things that, when you pile them on top of each other, create this reality and this moment, my experience? And I, I just said, okay. At, at this point, I became a lot more um, fascinated by spirit and source and energy and all these things. And I started reading books like Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now and so many, so many books like that. Um, One of the ones that really stuck with me was uh, Robert Persig wrote a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And I was actually on a motorcycle trip when I read that book. This was after I'd written my book already, but um, I felt more books like this were needed there were so many books like that were spirituality books. My favorite author is Don Miguel Ruiz. And he, he just writes such beautiful spirituality books. And I said, I want to write something that someone who's very analytical, like I have been my whole life and is uh, plugged into this is what life is. And don't give me any of this spirit consciousness bullshit. I need it explained. I said, okay, how can I write it? from the perception of the ego for the ego and break it down in a way where it's, there's no, there's no possible rebuttal to this. Like for instance, when I tell you attention is very valuable because where you put your attention determines the information that you receive in any given moment. And the information that you receive in that moment is your reality in that moment. And then we dive into attention and start talking about attention and how the power of harnessing your attention is so valuable. You're not going to have someone come back. Like, yeah, but no, your attention doesn't determine what you receive in that moment. It does. It does. So I just wrote it in whatever way I could, where I said, all right, what's first information. Everything is information. Um, let's go into that. And why, what makes everything information and, Oh, how do you receive that information through your attention? Once you receive it into your attention, through your attention, then what happens? And I just took it step by step. And then, yeah, I'm not sure if you've looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And on the top of that, he's got self-actualization. So then I thought, okay, once you realize who you are, or at the very least who you're not, um, the next thing to realize would be, what all this is and what your surrounding environment is and how this entire thing is uh it's it's individual but just like i have a cell in my body that's separate from me but it's also connected to me we we have the same thing as as people you know i may have a belief but the beliefs of los angeles the culture of los angeles is its own entity you know what they value and what um all these things are very different 
if you go to Saudi Arabia or if you come to Texas over here and you do that here. So um, yeah, it kind of went from, all right, let's, let's break down the pillars of an individual's reality. And then let's take that over to a group of people. And let's talk about how dynamic our expression is. Like, I remember when I went to Tony Robbins, uh, he talked about, he said, think of yourself five years ago, think of yourself 10 years ago and see how different you are now and realize that your identity is changing. And in my book, I started talking about, okay, you don't need to go five or 10 years back. Like if you look at my body language, the words that I use, the, the energy that I put out with my mother, it's different than it is with you, which is different than it is with my best friend, which is different than it is with the random person at the store or someone I cross in the street. And you go, whoa, my identity and my expression is dynamic. And it's constantly just automatically flowing in this way. And the way in which it's expressing is based on how my subconscious has been programmed to express in that particular moment. So, and I start going into the value of how to rewire your subconscious because yeah, if we're, we're not going to be conscious of everything we're doing, but if we can bring awareness to things in our subconscious and make them conscious and now create a practice to be able to rewire it in the way that we see serves us, then our autopilot will be an expression that we feel satisfied with in that moment. So that's a couple of things that I talked about in the book. Oh man, I'm, I'm definitely going to read that. That's right up my street. If the listeners want to connect with you, Nima, where, where should they go? Um, they can email me at theartofinterpretation.com. If you go there, it'll have a contact section. I just uh, let people know I don't check that stuff regularly. But when I do, I will definitely get back to you guys. And um, I, I would love to connect with anyone. Life is that that's one of the biggest things for me in this life is to just connect with as many people as I can and hear everybody's unique reality. So yeah, go on theartofinterpretation.com or nemasinterpretation.com. Both will lead you to the same landing page. And if you go to the contact section and fill that out, yeah, I'd be happy to get back to you. Awesome. Uh, Nima, I appreciate your time, brother. And uh, I'll, I'll come visit you in Texas at some point in the future for sure. Yeah, we love that, bro. I told you that was going to get a little bit out there. <laughs> Either way, it was great. And I really appreciate Nima being so vulnerable and sharing those events that shaped him. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And as I very often do, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review on iTunes. And also remember, as a podcast listener of mine, you can still get a free copy of my book, Align, The Modern Man's Guide to Health, Wealth, and Fulfillment. If you head on over to coachnickg.com forward slash book. And that's Nick with no K. So it's coachnicg.com forward slash book. Pick up a copy. It's an amazing book. And I know you'll get a lot out of it. Until next time, may the force be with you. 